Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-54. We got a broken world with broken people. Let's just go ahead and fix it. Well, I got news for you, folks. We're not going to get it unbroken because Messiah is going to do this when all of the fulfillment of prophecy comes about, according to Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8. Hello there. Welcome once again to another podcast of Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and it's great to have you along with us here today on our podcast Today, I'm going to tackle the subject of Yeshua and salvation, because not only does Yeshua mean salvation in Hebrew, but also I want to have a closer look into the idea of what salvation is, what it meant to the believers in Yeshua way back in the first century of this common era, what we would call the Second Temple period in the days of Yeshua in Jerusalem, okay? So in dealing with this idea of salvation, so I think the first stop should be Jeremiah 31, 31, and continuing through a few of those verses. So in verse 31, we read the following. Behold, the days are coming, says Yudhe when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Yehuda or Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke, although I was a master or a husband to them, says Jehovah. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Jehovah. I will put my law into their minds and I will write it on their hearts And I will be their God or their Elohim, and they will be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, No, Yehovah, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says Yehovah, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. Now, this is some very, very powerful, powerful stuff. I want to draw your attention to verse 34, to the idea where it says that Yehovah is declaring, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Now, The concept of forgiving iniquity is from the Hebrew root word avon or laven, ein vav nun sofit, ein vav nun sofit, 
where we get the Hebrew root avon, avon. And this is uh, an expression in Hebrew that refers not just to some misdeed or to some kind of sin, but rather a uh, twistedness, as though something were twisted or something were bent. Like, have you ever taken a hammer to a nail and you went to go hit the nail on the head? You missed. Hopefully you didn't hit your thumb or your finger. And the nail ended up getting bent or twisted in the process. Well, that's the idea of avon or what we would call in English iniquity. Something that is bent. And this is an important principle because this is the idea that Jehovah is going to present to us and, in fact, has presented to us from the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 24, where the prophecy is 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, again, finish the transgression, which points us to the final resurrection. There are two resurrections that are going to take place in the prophetic word of the Bible. So this is referring to the final resurrection or what is called in Revelation, the first resurrection. It is finishing up a twofold redemption process which will take us to a hint in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8. Now, we're not going to deal with that right now, but you can just make a note of that. Isaiah 66, verse 8. So the first redemption is a spiritual restoration. And that takes place when all Israel, all the Hebrews, are taken out of Egypt and they are brought in the Exodus through the Yamsuf or the Red Sea and then over to the mountain, that is Har Sinai or Mount Sinai. So from Mount Sinai, they camp and they wait for the third day, according to the book of Exodus or Shemot Exodus chapter 19. And there at the mountain, Jehovah appears to the nation. And when he appears to the nation, he is going to show them all of the redemption process. He's going to show them himself. He's going to speak about their first redemption, their second redemption, the entire image of a final and complete redemption. This is what Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 is referring to, to finish the transgression. What transgression? is being referred to here, that transgression goes back to Adam and Hava, Adam and his woman in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, you will recall that Hava, or the woman belonging to Adam, the woman who was built from Adam and taken out of his side, that woman was snookered by a creature called Nahash. Nahash, that's Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. 
He's often called the serpent, the Satan, the dragon, the devil. He's got a lot of different names. And he is the one that snookers Adam's woman. And when she takes a bite of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good but evil, not necessarily and evil, it's rather but evil because it's a tree that looks good, but in fact, its fruit is evil. Its fruit is rotten and poison. So she takes a bite of it and gives it to her husband to eat, and together they transgress and they walk away from Yehovah's oneness and the unity that they had. Now, the English word transgress comes from the Hebrew word pesha, pe shin ein, pe shin and an ein, pesha. And pesha refers to a criminal act. That is, an action of criminality, something that is like a crime. It's like, ay, 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 what have you done? You have transgressed. You have committed a crime, a, a, a horrible, horrible thing. So that's the transgression that is referred to all through the Bible as you keep seeing this word transgression in English. So you have here the transgression, which is Pesha, and you have the word Avon, which in Hebrew is to be bent or to be twisted. And those two ideas are coming under this huge umbrella that is called sin or chata'ah, chet, tet, and he. It's a noun, and it refers to a serious misdeed of missing the mark or missing the goal. The goal was to be one with Jehovah, to talk with him in the garden, to have eternal life. There was a lot involved in this. And Adam and his woman got snookered into walking with the serpent. And they made a covenant with sin and death. That is the whole theology that drives Paul in the New Testament, in the Brihada Shah. And from that one event, we then can see and understand how a genetic imprint takes place between Adam and Hava. That genetic imprint corrupts the seed of Adam and it is passed down all the way to our own generation today and beyond. That is the corruption to his seed as the woman carries the seed and it is corrupted. She's carrying a corrupted seed that Adam had possessed. And when I say corrupted seed, I am literally referring to a corruption of a genetically modified seed. We could just simply say it's a GMO, because that's essentially what it is. The entire genetic genome, that structure of Adam's spiritual 
and physical DNA. Again, physical and spiritual. Both aspects of Adam and Hava, the woman who carries his seed, both aspects, physical and spiritual corruption, are passed down line to all of humanity, all of mankind, and there is absolutely a corruption that is absolutely corrupted. That is the problem we're running into. That is the transgression. And that's what the transgression produces. It is poisoned, corrupted, twisted, bent seed. Seed that has missed the mark of the messianic image of yud or Yehovah. So, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, it says that 70 weeks are determined for your people and your holy city to finish that entire GMO criminal transgression. To finish it. To make an end of sins. Which sins is he referring to here? I believe, from my understanding, it's the sin of Pesha, which is the criminal act of transgression, and Avon, the sin of being bent and twisted at the very core of their being, of their soul. So it's both of those sins that fall under the umbrella of Chata'ah, sin. And so, in order to bring about an end of those sins, the prophecy states that Jehovah is going to bring in eternal justness or righteousness. Eternal justness or righteousness. And we know this because righteousness in Hebrew, tzedakah, or tzaddik, tzedakah, is the idea of being just being a just person. We can't earn that. That's impossible. (laughs) Nobody can be just, my friends. Not on our own. We can try, but we're going to fail. So this isn't about, oh, just being a goody two-shoes in your life. No, this is something he does for us. It's a positional justness. And it's eternal, as the scripture says. And so, In that context, Jehovah says through Daniel, the great writer and prophet of Israel, of the Hebrew nation, it is to seal up vision and prophecy. The idea of a sealing up of a vision and prophecy is the idea of chatam, chet tav mem. And this idea of Chatam, we get in modern Hebrew the word chatima. So like if you go to the bank or the post office in modern Israel today and you need to sign for something, somebody will say to you, uh, put your signature on this line, chatima, that's a signature. So this idea is to seal up a vision, that is to sign for the vision, to fulfill it and to complete it, to say, I'm accepting and receiving this 
vision by way of my signature. Wow. So he's going to put his signature on this seal and on the prophecy that is about to take place at the 70-week period because it's talking about a yet future event to Daniel, which is way, way in the future. Okay? It is going to bring in an anointing of the Most Holy. That is, the anointing is Mashiach, Mashiach, which we know is the Hebrew word that means to smear this oil of redemption coming from Yehovah. This is going to be a Messiah figure who is going to fulfill all of this for us. This is just so incredibly beautiful. And that's what is being planned. Okay? So, we know based on that, that when we go forward to this idea of Jeremiah 31, 31, the whole days are coming, says Jehovah. Remember, Yermiyahu, Jeremiah, he lived just prior to Daniel. So it's this Daniel or Daniel who writes about this covenant. But prior to Daniel writing about it, Yermiyahu, Jeremiah, he speaks of it again in the name of Yehovah saying, Behold, days are coming when I will make a new covenant. In Hebrew, a Brit Hadashah. A Brit Hadashah. That is, a renewal or new covenant. And what is this new covenant? It's not a new Torah law like Moses' Torah died off and now we don't need it anymore. And now we got Jesus' Torah. No, that's not what this new covenant is representing. This new covenant that is being spoken of here is a covenant that replaces the broken contract and covenant that Adam and his woman or his wife, when they completely decimated that relationship and that union in Genesis chapter 3. And when they broke that agreement, when they broke that covenant and they became one with that Nahash, when they allowed themselves to get snookered into that agreement to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good but evil, because it's evil even though it looks good to the eye, as we can understand from the text, when they did that and they passed down that genetic imprint, that GMO imprint, when they passed it down generation to generation, physically and spiritually, when they did that, that sealed our fate as humanity, that now we are poisoned, we are sick, we have evil, but we try to make ourselves look good. And that new covenant, it's going to shift everything from that broken covenant, and it's going to delete it. It's going to erase it. And it's going to start again so that we can once again, in Messiah, in Mashiach, we can become one with him. 
Why do you think Yeshua is saying those intense words of the prayer that he prayed in John Yohanan chapter 17 in the garden of Gethsemane or Gethsemane? When Yeshua is praying, Oh, Father, let them be one as we are one. May they be one as we are one. Why do you think he's saying that? Because that oneness, that echadness, if you would want to put it that way, that level of echad, oneness, was destroyed in Genesis chapter 3. And it needed a new covenant, a renewal of that oneness contract. So Yeshua made it possible, fulfilling Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. That's what this element is all about in Jeremiah 31, 31. Therefore, Yehovah says through Jeremiah, it's not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. In other words, they were stuck in this transgression of the Genesis covenant in that brokenness. And God, Jehovah. Elohim, he wanted to fix them. He wanted them to have faith. And in that faith, just like to Abraham, in that faith, he was going to give them the status or the credit that Abraham or Avraham had. When Abraham was given that opportunity, it says in Genesis chapter 15 that he believed Jehovah with what he was showing him, and in that it was counted to him or credited to him as tzedakah, justness, to be just, because he believed it. And that's why Yeshua says what he says in Yohanan, John chapter 8, verses 55 and 56, where Yeshua says to the religious leaders of his day, you have not known him, referring to Yehovah, right? But I know him, and if I say I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I guard or keep his word. Then Yeshua goes on to say in verse 56, your father Avraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. He was joyful. He was in joy. He was in celebration because he knew by what he was shown in that star sequence when he was taken out and shown the future. Avraham saw the coming of Messiah, which is why he was able to go through all that he went through with his son Isaac or Isaac in Genesis chapter 22 in what is called the Akedah, that is the binding of Isaac. Okay, but we're not going to go there now. Let's just stick with this basic foundation here. 
So Yeshua says, with Avraham, he saw my day, and because of that, and when he believed what he saw, it was credited to him as justness or righteousness, okay? And that is such a beautiful picture because that's what Jeremiah is referring to when Yehovah is speaking to us through him. It's not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. They ruined it because he wanted to give them the same justness, redemption. He wanted to give them that very same credit that he gave to Avraham. And what did they do? They shunned it. They said, no, we don't want it. No, thanks. They didn't want it. They flat out just refused it all through the centuries. So we'll come back and let's talk more about this after we take our break. I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-54. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Okay, welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. And I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. Let's continue where we left off just before the break talking about Yeshua and salvation. So Yehovah says through Yermayahu, I am going to do something that they are not expecting. He says to them, although I was a husband to them, says Yehovah, or a master, but he says the covenant I'm going to make with them, verse 33, is that I'm going to Put or establish my law in their minds or their hearts. And he says, and I'm going to be their God and they're going to be my people. We're not going to have to tell our neighbor and every man, his brother saying, no, Yehovah, go ahead, know him. Meaning have an experience with him from the Hebrew word yada, which is know. But to know something in Hebrew is to have experiential knowledge of it, to have an experience of it. We don't have to tell people, oh, just have an experience with it. No, you're going to experience it because the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Holy One, that one is going to be given to us as a down payment for this salvation message. This is what it's all about. And therefore, the prophecy of Yahu or Jeremiah says, and they're going to know me. <laughs> That's what he said. They're going to experience me through the Ruach HaKodesh, from the least even to the greatest. He says, I am Yehovah. And then he goes on to say, because I'm going to forgive their avon, their iniquity, that is their bentness, their twistedness. I'm going to completely erase it. And I'm not going to remember their sin anymore. That is the blessing of this entire salvation message. And so in Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I will give you a new heart. 
and I'm going to put a new ruach or a new spirit within you. Well, that means he's going to replace that broken covenant from the Garden of Eden, chapter 3, Genesis, when Adam and Eve destroyed everything. That's the new spirit, the new Ruach, where the heart of stone is now replaced, and he's going to take that out of our flesh, and he's going to give us a heart of flesh. We're not talking about a body of flesh. The flesh in Paul's theology is different from this idea of a heart of flesh. The heart of flesh is that it's pliable, it breathes, it's moving, it's going to respond to the covenant. And like the Torah, what does a boundary do? It keeps the bad stuff out and it keeps the good stuff in. So then he says, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you. Oh yes, this is a causative action so that we're going to want to keep and guard his statutes and guard his judgments and do them. This is what I think is what is called the baptism in or of the Holy Spirit. That is the immersion in the Ruach HaKodesh. When you are baptized or immersed in the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of the Holy One, His Torah, His law, it's expressing itself through your nephesh and your neshama. That is your breathing life and your soul life. And when that's being expressed through your life, that is proof that you have a heart for Yehovah in order to guard and keep His judgments and do them. So if you're not keeping his judgments and not doing them, you might want to have a second look at what this baptism in the Holy Spirit really is all about, because I don't think it's what everyone thinks it is today. This is about our love and oneness with the living Torah as it is expressed through the outward Torah manifested at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, chapters 19 and beyond. That's your immersion or baptism in the Spirit. This is the salvation that Jehovah has granted to us, eternal life, everlasting life, where our iniquities, that is our bent, twisted core nature is destroyed and removed along with our transgression, which we inherited as a GMO, a genetically modified seed coming down from Adam and Eve or Hava being passed down to us that we inherited and we get to inherit something different because Jehovah credits us with justness because of what He does, not what we do, except believe on him. How beautiful is that, my friends? And so this is where we are with Yeshua and salvation. So let's take a look at the Hebraic Israel identity. Now this is going to come from Deuteronomy 12, 29 through 30. When Yehovah Elohecha that is, Jehovah your Elohim, 
cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you. Well, the destruction is going to come because Yeshua was expected to come in the messianic role to come and destroy all of the bentness and twistedness of that iniquity and the criminal transgression that took place in Genesis chapter 3. Yeshua came to do away with that, to completely erase that. So, after all of that is destroyed, don't go back into it. That's what Paul's getting at. Why would you go back into that? You have freedom. Why would you go back and say, well, I just want to be a, a, a slave and a servant of the tree of the knowledge of good but evil again? Why would you do that? So Moses writes, don't follow them after they are destroyed from before you and that you do not inquire after their gods, after their Elohim, and don't put it in your heart and soul to, you know, ask this question, uh, well, I wonder, how, how did these nations serve their gods? Well, I'll go and do likewise. Oh, we've got a whole world of men, of women, of children, of young adults, of college kids, of all people, of all walks of life. They're out there asking the questions, hey, let me take a look at these nations and see how they love and serve their gods. Well, I'll, I'll go and also I'll do likewise. Yeah, that's a good idea. And Jehovah says to us, to you, to me, to those of us who embrace the messianic redemption of Yeshua, who fulfilled Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, and Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, he says to us, don't do it. Get it out of your head. And that includes taking on all of their customs and their traditions. That's the stuff in the world you know we're talking christmas easter valentine's day halloween all that stuff come on i know all of you folks know that and if you have any questions go back and listen to the three-part podcast that my wife and i did about the christmas tree and christmas and new year's and all that stuff go back and listen to those three podcasts you'll get a pretty good idea of where we're coming from here on this matter don't be like them don't be like the world yeah you're in the world but you're not of it so stop acting like them don't take their covenants. Don't take their contracts and agreements to worship their gods, to honor their gods, to let their gods have control over you. Don't go back to the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. Yehovah made an opportunity for you to get out of that. That's the whole point. So what we have been saddled with in humanity these days is what I might call the worldly identity. Now, I'd like to speak for Judaism, particularly American Judaism. It was actually established way back in 1885. It's called the Pittsburgh Platform. 
for American Judaism, it's essentially telling us the story of where we are at today in life with all of the stuff that we're fighting. This platform for American Judaism established in 1885 in Pittsburgh essentially boils down to a few interesting points. It's less focus on a messianic return to the land of Israel. And I'm referring to the land of Israel above, which then will lead us to the land of Israel below. And that's spoken of in Psalm 137, 5 and 6, which talks about Jerusalem above. So there's not so much of a focus on a messianic return to Jerusalem above, which then gives us the right to return to Jerusalem below, which will be a new and improved spiritual Jerusalem. Also, there's more focus on fixing a broken world. Judaism refers to this as a tikkun olam. It means basically the repair of the world. Everyone seems to have this focus on making our world a better place. We got a broken world with broken people. Let's just go ahead and fix it. Well, I got news for you, folks. We're not going to get it fixed. We're not going to get it unbroken. It's not going to happen because Yehovah Messiah is going to do this when all of the fulfillment of prophecy comes about in this way, according to Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8. Isaiah 66, verse 8, that is the great resurrection, the first resurrection. It's also mentioned in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Another aspect of this American Judaism uh, philosophical viewpoint is that God's purpose is to live and work in and with the world in order to make it a better place. No, that's not a biblical position. We don't work to make the world a better place. That's not what we're here for. We're here to bring a message of the first and second redemption to the whole world to announce to them that there is good news that salvation is available in Yeshua. And when that happens, both of these redemptions, that is the new creation in Messiah inwardly and the outward flesh that falls apart and is replaced with a eternal new life in Messiah at the first resurrection, both of these events are going to form the whole picture of salvation and that is the message we are to proclaim. And in doing that, we're bringing a light to the world. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And again, there's another aspect to this whole fix the world kind of idea, the tikkun olam. And that is they teach to build a better, more equal, more tolerant world where Jews live or perhaps we could say where all of us are living, just kind of build a better, more equal, more 
tolerant world. Well, that's an idea that's being presented to a lot of people today. It's the tolerance movement. Hey, you know, come on. We accept you. You accept me. I don't care whether you do this or this, if you're this or this. Ah, Don't worry about it. We all love one another. It's a love, love, love idea. No, I don't think so. That's not what Jehovah is telling us. This is very important. We are ambassadors to a new identity, and it's not the identity of moral relativism, because that's what the world is chasing after. In other words, all moral and ethical systems are equally valid, that there is no ultimate standard of good or evil, That right and wrong is defined with each person, each society. That morality and ethics are all subject to the cultural perspective of each person, depending on how they see it. We have another idea that we can express it as. It's found in the book of Judges in the Hebrew Scripture, that every man did what was right in his own eyes. And part of the new tolerance identity is no moral or ethical system that is considered best or better or worst. No, 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 no. You don't need any of that stuff. Morality and ethics is not based on, well, this is better and this is best or this is bad or this is worst. Not at all. The moral relativism today is, hey, we all love each other. It's all good. Come on, brother. Come on, sister. It's okay. We're all good. It's just love. Uh Uh-uh. Uh Uh-uh, that's not what the Bible is teaching us, not in the least. We don't say, well, that's right and that's wrong. We all know when you start doing stuff like that, you start getting censored by big tech. (laughs) That's what this whole thing was about with the uh, 2020 elections and all of that stuff. You see, folks, this is all this new tolerance stuff, and it's really, really bad. So with all this being said... I'd like to welcome you to the world of the Etzadaat Tovirah, that is, the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. And again, as I previously said to you, it's not my opinion that we can only define it as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because in truth, there is nothing good in that tree from Genesis chapter 3. There is nothing good. All of it is evil, but it looks good. And that's what you can do with the Vav in the Hebrew language. So in Deuteronomy 13 verse 15, we read, See, I've set before you today life and good, death and and evil. And that is the whole point, that there is life and good. That's in the Etzahayim, the tree of eternal life and good. 
And then there's this other mutant tree over here, this GMO tree that Adam and Hava ate from. It's called the tree of death and evil, just like it's mentioned in Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. It's death and it's evil, but it looks good, kind of like a wolf in sheep's clothing, something that looks really good. When I'm doing tour guiding out in Israel, sometimes I'll take people out into the, uh, into the fields, you know, and I'll walk them through the cow paddies out there. For those of you that uh, are farmers or you have large swaths of land and you have cattle out there like goats or sheep or cows, why don't you go take one of those cow paddies out there? And go smear on top of it some really sweet-smelling, delicious-looking cake frosting. You know, the kind of stuff you go buy at your local grocery store, the cake frosting. So you go put all that stuff on a cow patty, right? And you smear it all over. And then you put it onto a plate and you say, well, have a bite. And you don't tell the person what it really is, you say, oh, that this, this stuff is really good. And you give them a fork and you say, dig in. And they dig into it. And what do they find? They take a bite and they go, yeah, that's what this tree of the knowledge of good and evil is all about. It's death and evil. It's gross. It's poison. It will kill you. But... It looks good. And that's what we're trying to get at here in the story, okay? So, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Again, the tree of the knowledge of good, but evil. And I'm clearly taking a look at this in the context of Isaiah 5, verses 20 and 21. Woe to those who call evil good. And good, evil, who put darkness for light, and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, and prudent in their own sight. In other words, you can figure things out. You have understanding in your own sight. Well, that's just what we were talking about in the book of Judges of the Hebrew Scripture, where everyone was saying and doing things that was right in their own eyes. No, you don't. You don't have it figured out, because if you did, then you wouldn't be in the position you're in, and neither would I. We need justification. We need Jehovah to bring us back to his light, his truth, his eternal word. And so we are now challenged in our lives as we are born into this world, into this world of darkness and sin and death. We are challenged according to Deuteronomy, the Volim, the Volim, chapter 30, verse 15. See, I have set before you, in front of you today, eternal life and good, death, and evil. Make a choice. Decide which way you're going to go. You decide what you're going to do. It's your call. Do not enable people, loved ones, friends, family, 
Don't enable them to make bad choices. Enable them to do good choices. Because when they make bad choices, they have to face their consequences. So that then they can say, well, I I didn't like that. I didn't like what happened there. That that was a bad situation from my bad choice. So I don't want to do that again. So don't enable people to make bad choices because then they don't learn from the sowing and reaping principle that what you sow, you will reap. We're going to come back on podcast number two, and we're going to talk about that principle of eat once, die twice. It's going to be a fascinating subject as we delve into the Yeshua and salvation principle and what all of this is about and why we are indeed doing what we're doing, believing what we're believing, acting the way we're acting, carrying on and taking all of these things on and accepting the Torah and doing all of this stuff. We've got to understand this eat once, die twice principle. And with Yehovah's help, we shall come back and meet here once again. Season 2, program number 55. Join us for the next podcast. I'm Avi Ben-Mordechai. And you can go to our website and get any more information that would make you a happy person. And you can learn and grow in the knowledge of the truth. Cominghome.co.il If you have a comment or a question, send us an email to our email address, questions at cominghome.co.il. Again, questions at cominghome.co.il. When you send us a question, please tell us your first name and where you are from. Also, we would appreciate it greatly if you will do your best to keep your questions short and to the point. Stay with us and we will be back to continue... Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. This is Avi Ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio.